one. Welcome to our meeting. This is the regular board meeting of the Shawnee Mission Board of Education for March 25th. And our first item on the agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance. I'd like to bring forward Mr. Bartell and the Crestview Cougars who will help lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Please rise. Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Great, thank you. And Mr. Bartell, would you and your team like to introduce our guests or have them introduce themselves? <clears throat> Hello. Uh, Hello. My name is Michael Fanning. I'm the student council sponsor at Crestview. Uh, thank you for having us. This is a, an honor for them. Uh, what I'd like to do is have each one of the kids come on up to the microphone and speak to you uh, and let you know something that they, uh, that they like about Crestview. So, uh, and they're going to also introduce themselves as well. Great. Hi. Hi. Um, <clears throat> my name is Daniel Hernandez. And um, I'm glad to be at Crestview because everyone is nice to each other and Great reason. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name is Cody Guzman, and um, I'm glad to be at Crestview because the teachers are very nice to the students. And wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> my name is Hattie Duff, and one of the things I like about Crestview is they're nice teachers. Thank you. My name is Avery Lewis, and what I like about Crestview is the teachers are nice and everyone who goes to school is nice. Great. My name is Allison, and I like to be at Crestview because people respect each other. Oh, thank you. My name is Jayla Walters, and um, I like Crestview because the teachers are nice, the students are nice, and overall everyone's nice to each other. Right. My name's Maylee, and I like Crestview because the teachers will always help you with your work if you need help. Great. My name's Vanessa Diaz, and I like Crestview because they give us a good education and the help we need in schoolwork. Great. My name is Elizabeth Westmeyer, and I really like Crestview because of the teachers. They're really patient and understanding. Hi, my name is Jack McCarthy, and I like Crestview because, because all the students and teachers are willing to help each other. Hi, my name is Jose Estrada, and I like Crestview because the teachers push you to go above and beyond. Hi, my name is Amelia Brandt, and I like Crestview because they make us feel very safe. Hello, my name is Risa Avalos, and I really like Crestview because everyone, all the teachers and students respect each other. Hello, my name is Sophia Hayes, and I like Crestview because everybody respects each other, and I've never heard of bullying at Crestview. Hi, my name's Georgia, and I like, I like going to Crestview because everybody is nice to each other. 
name is Celia Barraza, and I like going to Crestview because we have equal co- equality, and the teachers are really funny sometimes. Mm. <laughs> Celia, I've got a question for you. Celia, you ever been on YouTube before? You are now. <laughs> Mr. Bartell. Um, thank you again for the opportunity to come and uh, say the pledge. We, we took it as a tremendous honor to open up the meeting. And uh, one thing that uh, as our students were assembling, it was nice enough weather to assemble outside today. And as everyone came around the corner, I was talking to Mr. Fanning about how proud we are of each one of the students and what a great example they lead uh, in our school. Uh, we've established that our school is nice which is good, um, but the way we also have a heart for leadership and a heart for serving uh, others in our community is something that I'm tremendously proud about our students. And, uh, and I also really like how our students, we have a, a saying about anytime we are in public or we have a guest speaker at our building, how we represent ourselves, our family, our school, and our community. And I can't think of a better group of students that embody that uh, to represent ourselves or our school tonight for uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. So thank you for the opportunity. Right. Thank you. <laughs> and Mr. Bartels, thank you. No, you're on TV all the time, and that's what I wanted to recognize you for. Thank you for your many years of service to the category show. I still tune in, and you still stump me. So thank you for all that you do. Appreciate it. Uh, with that, we'll move on to uh, the adoption agenda. I'll seek a motion to adopt. So moved. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0. We move on to the minutes. The first minutes is of the special meeting of February 25th. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Elo. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Uh, next, we have the minutes of the regular meeting of February 25th. Move so approval. Moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you for the second, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. And then the minutes from the special meeting that we held on March 5th. Move approval. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? That passes 7-0. With that, we move on to the section two of our agenda tonight. And our first up is the superintendent report. Dr. Fulton. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Well, Brookwood Elementary School opened their doors to a new school building as the district returned from spring break. They are now enjoying all the features that come with the new school, including collaborative learning spaces and a separate gymnasium and cafeteria with a full-service kitchen. The building of a new Brookwood facility was funded by bond proceeds from the sale of general obligation bonds that were authorized as part of the voter-approved bond. Uh, referendum in January 2015. We want to thank our community that approved the bond issue, making this significant facility improvement possible. The school will host a dedication ceremony for the school on Thursday, April 25th. Katie Black, a social studies teacher at Horizons High School, was presented with a Read to Achieve Award by the Kansas National Education Association and KCTV5. A student who graduated in December 2018 nominated Black for the award, saying she encourages students to step out of their comfort zone and is a wonderful role model and mentor. 
Black received a check for $1,000 as part of her recognition, and that was a great ceremony. A group of second graders at Rose Hill Elementary School were recognized as honorable mention winners in a nationwide Toshiba National Science Teacher Association Explore a Vision competition. The honor places them in the top 10% of contest submissions from across the United States and Canada. The second graders created an invention to help people with severe allergy symptoms. So congratulations to those students. Recently, two Shawnee Mission School District students earned a perfect score on the ACT exam. Chase Horner, who's a sophomore at Shawnee Mission South, and Ian Gold, a junior at Shawnee Mission East, earned a perfect 36 score on the ACT. Less than one-tenth of one percent of students who take the ACT earn a perfect score. Congratulations to both of those students. Something that would be of interest to everyone for sure, and that involves the last day of school. Earlier this evening, we sent out a message to the Shawnee Mission School District community reminding them that the last day of school in the Shawnee Mission School District for the 2018-2019 school year will be May 23rd, 2019. Specifically, the last day for the following groups will be seniors on Friday, May 10th, pre-kindergarten, pre Wednesday, May 22nd, kindergarten through 11th grade, Thursday, May 23rd. And this will be, that will be an early dismissal day. And then teachers on Friday, May 24th. Now there's a caveat. For graduating, yeah, that's good. For graduating seniors, this calendar is subject to change due to unforeseen circumstances that would cause them to miss a day of school between now and mid-May. So we don't want any inclement weather days between now and mid-May. Seniors would have to make up any days that are missed between now and the end of school. For everyone else, this schedule could potentially uh, need to be altered if more than one day is missed between now and the end of the year. But we're doing this, you know, at a time of the year where hopefully there are no more inclement weather days. Let's hope. Yes. <laughs> we waited. Let's hope it didn't happen. All right. So now, with that, we have a very special recognition of our Shawnee Mission All-Stars. We begin this evening by welcoming Kristen Jones, Principal of Prairie Elementary, to introduce tonight's first recipient. Thank you so much for this opportunity. If you visit Prairie Elementary and you want to see the heart of the school, you would go to our library. Mrs. Lori O'Neill is in our library and she brightens our space every day. Her positively, positivity shines with staff members as well as students. We have volunteers, some even came tonight, who come into the library just because they love to spend that time in that, um, the climate of our positive environment. Another thing about Lori that makes her special, she holds on tight to the value of a good, strong librarian and putting books that are at children's levels in their hands. Children say that all the time when I ask about, what is special about Mrs. O'Neill? Books, she gives me the books that she knows I'll like. She knows what every single child, 470 children, like to read in our school, which is amazing. Plus, three years ago, she opened a makerspace in our school. So two days a week, she has managed to balance being a librarian with also being an innovative makerspace teacher. And that is really hard to do. She's taught 30 years and she jumped out of her comfort zone when she and I met a couple of years ago with this plan and this vision. And she just 
went into it. She collaborated with our instructional coach and created the most amazing space. We have parents volunteering every week in the maker space. Children are creating, it's a STEAM area, so they're, they're involved in robotics, in circuits, in building, in art projects, design. It's just, it's amazing what our children are exposed to now because she was willing to come out of her comfort zone and welcome and change the environment to meet the needs of our students at Prairie. So that's why she really deserves this award. And so I'm very proud of her. And we're just, I'm excited to see the video. The kids love Mrs. O'Neill. They know that they're going to walk into a library where they're loved, they're cared for. She just loves prairie. She, she is picture perfect of prairie. She just loves prairie so much. She is always so loving to students and she helps do a lot of things and she helps start up the makerspace which I think is really cool. I'm impressed with how she collaborates with other teachers and with the instructional coach in order to um, refine her teaching. She just has that energy and that passion for teaching children and the love for reading. She has really uh, taken on transforming her role here in such a positive way. Uh, she decided to incorporate makerspace instruction into her library lessons. She gives them so much choice and voice in the makerspace. They're just thrilled to be there with her. Library is my second favorite special because she's a really nice teacher. She's good, at what, she's good at what she does. Lori O'Neill is an all-star. You know, she, she want, she's a big hitter. I can't imagine what Prairie would be like if um, Lori wasn't here. I think it's awesome that Miss O'Neill got the award. She's great in the library, and she always knows the right books for me. I think it's awesome for her because she is one of the greatest librarians I know. I can't imagine the school without Mrs. O'Neill being here because she has such a presence in this school. Hey, Lori, I just want to tell you I'm so proud of you. Thank you for sharing your love for books and your love for reading and your love for the kids that are here at Prairie. Lori, it has been such a joy to work with you throughout the last two years on your makerspace and library lessons. Um, you inspire me every day. Congratulations, Lori. You deserve to be recognized as a Shawnee Mission All-Star because you have every single component that it takes to be an All-Star teacher. Your passion, energy, your love for learning, your love for children comes out every single day. I appreciate your positivity and we love you at Prairie. Congratulations. all so much for this honor. Um, made me think about my 30 years, 30-ish years in Shawnee Mission and I remember vividly the day that I got called to say that I got hired to be the library media specialist at Prairie School and I was over the moon as I am 30 years later. I'd do it all over again if I could to work with this amazing staff, hardest working bunch of people I know caring for our prairie community and to be part of that community. What a gift, I'll tell you. To encourage um, the love of reading and books and especially libraries has just been like the greatest privilege I think I've ever had. So thank you all so much. Thank you.
Once again, congratulations. And now we welcome Brian Watson, a principal at Tomahawk Elementary School, to introduce our next Shawnee Mission All-Star. Good evening. Tonight I have the honor to introduce one of this month's All Means All-Star Award winners. Jordan Bright came to Tomahawk last year as a new paraprofessional working in our resource room. It quickly became apparent that Jordan had a special gift. You see, Jordan was matched with a new kindergarten student named Danny, and as you'll see in the upcoming video, Danny's pretty special himself. As time went on, these two bonded in a very special way. You know, the connections that are made in a school are pretty astounding, but the link between Danny and Jordan is one of those once-in-a-lifetime kind of things. Jordan is steadfast as he goes about his day with Danny, not doing things for Danny, but doing things with Danny. Jordan and Danny have an understanding that transcends normal communications. I swear, sometimes I think they're telepathic. I have the utmost respect and admiration for Jordan Bright and the work he does every day. Let's take a look at what other Tomahawk staff members have to say in the video. I nominated Jordan because he is amazing with our special needs population. Um, he is fantastic at being energetic, getting um, his student involved and active. Some of the special things I loved about him was he was so awesome at developing relationships, not only with Danny, but with the other children in my classroom. He was always eager to do whatever strategies were necessary to make children have success at school. And he was just a kind, loving person, and he was so respectful of Danny and the other children. You see people when they are meant to do something, and he's just meant to work with children. It's just what he for sure has been called to do. It's just where he shines. He's responsible for Danny's um, personal needs, for medication. He has some other medical needs that he takes care of as well. He just does a wonderful job with him. I can't get over the, enough of what he does for him. He makes Danny laugh. He makes him come alive. And uh, so I think that's, that's a real, real good quality to have in a caregiver. Jordan is more than we ever could have asked for. And um, you know, it, in thinking and preparing for Danny's future, we had no idea what to expect, um, but we could never have anticipated having someone like Jordan working with him. Anytime I have an idea, I've given the class some information and I've gotten them started. And if I think, oh, this would be a great idea to get Danny included, I turn and look at Jordan and it's either already happening or he's doing something even one step past what I would have done to include Danny in the activity. And I think that's just, that's remarkable that um, a person as young as him has just such an awareness of how to adapt anything we're doing in here to best meet Danny's needs. Everyone should be so lucky to have a Mr. Jordan. <laughs> Honestly, um, it makes all the difference in the world. So I've been so thankful to having meeting Danny and his family, and um, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss for words right now. 
And I'm so thankful for the opportunity and I'm thankful for meeting all the staff members and all the other students that work at Tomahawk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Both for what you do. It's very important to the district. We appreciate that. Wrap up, Dr. Fulton. We'll move on to item 2.02, which is an update on the strategic planning process that's taking place right now. And we're going to have a very special guest come to the podium to provide us that update. Dr. Fulton. Well, good evening. I have a relatively brief update for you. The action plan teams uh, met. As you know, we're in the process of working from work that started in, in December, and we've been uh, dil diligently working with the steering committee uh, to identify what needs to happen in our strategic plan there. Big part of the work is done. Now we're into the action planning groups. This gives you an idea of the process as well as some of the meetings that have occurred. We, uh, we do have uh, future meetings to be held on April 4th, April 17th, and so on. Some of those are facilitation meetings and others are actual action team meetings. Through our strategic plan, at least in our draft phase, we've identified three important objectives. These, these really guide our work. This becomes a big part of the North Star. The notion that every child will achieve academic success through a challenging and relevant personalized learning plan, which is actually part of what's required in Kansas, so this fits well with the Kansas uh, improvement requirements. Also, this commitment to making sure that students develop personal resilience as they master important com competencies, essential competencies that prepare them for college and career. And then finally, making sure that students develop the interpersonal skills that they need to be engaged and uh, citizens in a, in a, both locally and globally. Now these three objectives are being used by the action planning teams as they look at the world th through their unique lens. So for example, the first group is dealing with a strategy of reimagining teaching and learning to guarantee that students have relevant opportunities for personalized learning experiences. I'll read that one. I will not read the rest of them to you because you can see them on the screen. What's that team doing? Well, first of all, at their meeting, they established norms, talked about how that work would proceed. They then discussed their strategy and what their final work product would look like. They divided the team into three groups, talked through each of the three objectives, and organized to gather additional research and work on each of the objectives. Each group will gather and share research on their topic prior to the next meeting. Now you're going to see this common theme of really gathering research uh, together that informs each strategy and gets us to a realization of our action steps. The second team is focusing on having an inclusive culture. After introductions, the team began by participating in and reflecting on a privileged walk. The group then split into four smaller groups to dive deeper into the meaning of the strategy. This included reflection on how the strategy was impacted by the district beliefs, mission, objectives, and strategies. And finally, they talked about what strategy, what the strategy is, 
and what the strategy is not. Team members will be researching and annotating articles in preparation for the next meeting. The third strategy speaks to cultivating and uh, supporting quality educators. After introductions, action, this action team discuss again what the strategy is and is not and what it will look like once fully implemented. The team began its work by analyzing the strategy. They then read one research article about professional development for background knowledge as well as uh, to practice how to report out to the group the research that is found. To begin the process of information gathering, the team divided their strategy into five themes and members chose one theme to target for continued research. The fourth strategy speaks to systems design. That team spent most of the evening in activities focused on strategy analysis and information gathering. The action team actively engaged in a number of activities to help drill down into the systems the district currently has and beliefs around what is needed to move toward the three guiding uh, research questions, that is our objectives. The team reviewed the Mid-Continent Regional Education Lab or McCrell article, asking the right questions, a leader's guide to systems thinking about school improvement. That's an important piece. This group will really uh, work to help inform what happens with site councils. And then finally, uh, the last strategy. Uh, this one deals with facilities. The team reviewed the agenda, did introductions. You see this, they had to get to know each other, of course, in all the teams. Created and established group norms to build trust and established how consensus would be built. Next, the team reviewed the strategic plan with the objectives and research questions and how they relate to supporting facilities and improving student achievement. The team then reviewed information about how facilities funds are collected and spent the current status of facilities, and the need to think creatively about the role that facilities would play in the future in order to support learning. Team members separated into two committees to research future bond possibilities and facilities that support student learning. And so that really is an update on the action planning teams. They'll meet again in April and continue their work we're excited to see what kind of recommendations they come up with. Do you have any questions for me? Great. Thank you for the update. I'll turn to board members for any questions. Thank uh, you. At this point, thank you very much for that update. <clears throat> now move on to 2.03, which is uh, board reports, and we'll walk through a few of uh, the board responsibilities. I'll turn to Reverend Guy on any update from SMAC PTA. I attended the general uh, meeting, I believe it was last week, um, it was to vote in their new officers, um, but they did ask me to bring a report, so I brought a very sensational um, report <laughs> and uh, just basically reiterated things that had happened in, in uh, board meetings. The one that sparked their interest the most was talking about um, a change in our lunch policy, so we had a lengthy conversation about that, and I know we're getting an update on that later this evening, so I hope that uh, SMAC PTA will get that out to their members who had a, a keen interest in that. And I also just want to report that the clothing closet moved its location. It's still in the Broadmoor building, but moved its location over spring break, or is still, I guess, in the process of moving um, to the gymnasium, or half of the gymnasium. So that will be a much bigger area for them to be able to meet the needs of the families in the district who um, need some, some clothing, both adults and children. So if you haven't checked that out or 
offered to volunteer, I encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful outreach that they offer to this community. That's all. Can I just add to that real quickly? Because <laughs> I was there today, and um, because Monday is donation drop-off, and they are accepting dresses for prom and any other, you know, nice, you know, dress shirts, et cetera, and it's that season, so they are asking for those types of donations as well. Great. Great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> next up, uh, update from the Education Foundation, Mrs. Owsley. Um, so there's two points for the Education Foundation. Um, the Excellence in Education Grant Award winners are going to be notified by letter this week, and they'll be invited to a celebratory reception prior to our next meeting, or prior to our meeting on May 13th, so it's a little ways out. And then the All District Employee Giving Campaign is taking place from April 1st to April 11th. Um, schools compete for grants, which come back to their buildings, and Shawnee Mission staff are usually very participatory in this, and they're very generous, and they are appreciated very much by the foundation. Thank you. And Mrs. Zila, KASB update. <laughs> yes, we had a board of directors meeting this past weekend in <clears throat> Topeka. Um, as it happens, this time of year, the, the president of the board hosts the entire board to tour their home district. So since Patrick Woods is from the Topeka, um, Board of Education there that we were in Topeka to visit uh, the schools there. We toured the Topeka Center for Advanced Learning and Careers, TCALC, they call it, and it, it houses, it's brand new, opened last August. Some of the programs came to them in October, so it's just fledgling, but it reminds me a lot of the signature programs that we offer to our kids here. We also had a presentation um, from their Spanish Immersion School which they are now K-6, K-6, um, K-5, I, I believe. Um, and it's, it's going splendidly, I guess, for them. And they had some children there talking both, you know, both languages to us as well. And uh, it's a very, it's a wonderful school. Uh, board of Directors meeting then was held at the same place on Saturday, and we discussed kind of board business. Uh, we had an evaluation for the executive director, <clears throat> facilities, finances, all that kind of stuff for the association. So all is well at KASB. And of course, Mark Tallman was there to try to figure out exactly what to tell us what's going on in Topeka. <clears throat> Changes by the minute. It does indeed. Thank you. <clears throat> and along those lines, any updates related to the work of the committee from uh, government relations and legislative, Dr. Sinclair? So the, the legislative <clears throat> committee has not met, but the advocates are out um, working on behalf of Kansas Association of School Boards. And I believe they have an action alert out that aligns with the Shawnee Mission legislative platform to contact legislators as we speak on a vote probably happening either now or later this evening regarding the school finance bill. Mm -hmm. So that can be found at the KASB <clears throat> website. And Great. And we'll do a deep dive on that. Is there a little bit checking. more about that? <clears throat> checking right now. Thank you. A um, couple of task forces uh, and an update from Mrs. Goodburn regarding constituent services. I have an update. After being canceled a couple times, we actually met last Friday. Um, and so the committee has been discussing all sorts of different things, but the importance of responding to patron concerns and directing them to the appropriate level of problem solving. That committee is also evaluating the value of a specific person being uh, designated for this person purpose. 
and members will continue to research what other districts do uh, to most effectively support constituent services. So we are still in discussions, and I know that a lot of us are going to the uh, convention this weekend, and I would love it if um, we would, somebody would attend, I think there's a constituent services meeting, or, um, and if you could ask other, you know, if you're sitting around <coughs> other people, at the uh, other school board members from around the country, if you could ask them um, what, what they're doing with constituent services, I think uh, it would be wonderful to have that data, that information. So we're going to meet again in April and should have more to come. Okay. Thank you. And I have listed that as one of the workshops I'm going to attend. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, <clears throat> professional services, Mrs. Zila? I've got no new information for you right. tonight. Thank you. With that, we'll move on to item 2.04, which is the board financial report. Dr. Fulton? <clears throat> yes, and I'm going to have uh, Russ come forward and give that to us. Good evening. Um, tonight's board re financial reports as of the end of the month, February. Um, you've seen this slide a few times. Um, so the, the area that I will focus on is the one that's circle, and that's the operating funds. Last month I presented to you that we did have some concerns with some of our major areas that would be over budget, such as utilities, uh, substitutes, and health insurance. So we'll keep an eye on those and keep monitoring those till the end of the fiscal year, which ends June 30th. And we'll report back to you probably in April or May with some more definite projections. Um, one of the things that I wanted to tie to with the supporting funds tonight is Dr. Little will get up and do his legislative update. And he'll talk about Senate Bill 142 and a couple other of the bills that are, are currently um, up for debate. Um, so those Anything positive to come out of those, the Senate Bill 142 were to pass the other house, it would add $90 million to uh, the Kansas State General Fund Foundation Aid, and then we would get a good chunk of that. Um, but that would go into this bucket of money. If that would be new revenue, we would receive that and it would go into our operating funds. So I'm sure Stuart will touch on those tonight. Uh, another good example on the next two groups is your capital outlay and your bond debt. Um, Later tonight, you got an action item for the refresh of some Apple devices for our middle school Macs. Um, we, are, we are able to use this source of funding, another bucket of money, to buy this equipment, which goes directly into the instruction of a classroom. Kiddos and teachers all have these devices, and it goes directly to instructions. Um, you heard the, uh, in the All-Stars, the Makerspace, again. It's in our library and it's used for instruction and again it can come from this bucket of money where we can buy furniture and equipment out of. So you know those two sources of funding are, are our main ones that we use to buy uh, equipment and our day-to-day -day operations for uh, to operate our uh, facilities. The other three there are the flow, flow through funds, our federal grants, and then our self-supported ones which we use for uh, gifts and grants. Do you have any questions for me? Questions? <clears throat> yes, Dr. Sinclair. I'm just going to offer a comment just to make an update. So we have 72% of our operating funds <clears throat> going towards um, those unrestricted operational kinds of things, supporting classroom instruction and related services to support for that. The state, 72% of our state funds are directed. <clears throat> 61% of our budget goes to operating, and 72% of that is comes from state, state funds. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that'd be your special education and your general foundation, okay. state. 
Okay. And then just as a uh, point of digression, um, thank you for responding to, there was a, in the K-12 House Budget Committee last week, there was a kind of some confusion about how Shawnee Mission was allocating their dollars for our educators and our administrators, and I appreciate you clarifying that and um, presenting a memo with more accurate information. That was yeah. very timely and appreciative. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Board members. Yes, Mrs. Housley. Um, just out of curiosity, when we talk about utilities, um, it's the 4%, but it's, that's like for everyone. Is there a fuller breakdown on which utilities and how much for each? So, you know, what would be gas or water or electric or that sort of thing, just so that we would have a better idea of how that... Off the top of my head, utilities is about $9 million of that budget. Uh, probably $8 million of that is electricity. Thank you. Okay. Great. Any other questions? Thank you very much for the update. We Thank appreciate you. it. And we look forward to having more clear vision of numbers next month, right? <clears throat> we will see. Hold her. He says, don't hold your breath. Um, with that, we'll move on to item 2.05. This is the period of the meeting where we do public comment. And I'm going to make a quick pause here because I didn't do it earlier, recognizing any students that are here today. Uh, if any students are here because you're part of a government class that says you have to go attend a school board meeting or you're just plain curious and you're here, would you like to raise your hand to be recognized? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Welcome. Do you want to shout out the schools you're from? North. North? Uh -huh. yeah, west. west. Northwest. Northwest. Great. Thank you for being here, and hopefully it's as entertaining as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, this is the opportunity where we have board comment, where we invite the public to come and share some comments with us. A quick rundown of some of the guidelines that uh, are part of our public comment section of each meeting. Uh, there are a few reminders to help speakers have a constructive and positive experience when presenting your comments to the board. We ask that when making remarks that you please proceed to the podium when your name is called and share your name, city of residence, what schools your children may attend, and the name of any other group or organization that you're representing. I uh, will ask that you uh, limit your remarks to three minutes. In consideration of everyone's time, please select a group representative to represent all the thoughts that you might be bringing forward if there's more than one that look to repeat the same comment. Written comments and or materials will be accepted and should be given to the board clerk. Uh, please make your comments when remaining behind the podium. And uh, any comments pertaining to an item on the meeting's agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or his or her designee to address those comments at the time or when it is up for consideration in the rest of the board meeting. Generally, responses from board members during public comment will be limited to clarifying questions. And with that, uh, we have one speaker that signed up today, and we invite Liz Meidel to come forward. Welcome. But I know how you'd prefer us to just come as one, so I just came by myself. I'm Liz Meidel, I have two kids at Briarwood, but I'm here tonight to speak about the district as a whole on behalf of the families and teachers who feel like they can't make this stand publicly. I'd like to talk about behavior and discipline issues in the district. There is substantial evidence that almost every building in SMSD is dealing with increased levels of behavioral issues, and there's also evidence that individual students are being disciplined in disparate ways, often with disastrous consequences for families. I'd like to share some of the factors we believe have contributed to the rise in behavioral issues. Each of these are factors which could be addressed through policy change. In February of 2016, all of the behavioral specialists in the district were forced to reapply for their jobs. In this reassignment process, we lost several extraordinarily capable behavioral specialists, and their ex expertise was never adequately replaced. 
Also, since 2015, we have seen a massive attrition of special educators and other specialists, especially the ones with the most years of experience. As of today, with the loss of five more special educators, we have a, had a 58% turnover of the special education department in the last four years. The national attrition rate of special education teachers is 13% annually. Additionally, despite a community-driven call for an increase in the number of social workers and or counselors last year, there hasn't been any substantive movement on this issue. This is relevant because when behavior specialist expertise is lost, when special education is under-resourced, and when our at-risk students are not well-supported, school-wide behavior prob problems are amplified and teacher and principal resources to handle those problems are not adequate. The next contributing factor is a lack of support for district-wide or even feeder pattern-wide systems for promoting positive behavior and reducing negative behavior. In the East feeder pattern alone, there are schools that use PBIS, schools that do BIST, schools that use Second Step, schools that use restorative justice, and schools that have their own cobbled together programs of behavior management. These are all fine when they're done with fidelity and with the right resources and support, which is literally impossible to do if you're not aligned with the other schools the students will attend. Additionally, there is no principal accountability built into any district-wide system, so when principals are not serving their teachers and or students equitably or justly, there is nowhere for people to look for help. In the absence of required programs and principal oversight, there is no hope for consistent and equitable disciplinary outcomes. Another huge factor contributing to increased disciplinary issues is teacher workload and class sizes. One thing we know for sure from the research is that the best way to improve behavior is to build relationships with students. Since 2014, the elementary class sizes in SMSD have increased by 14%. Additionally, the ABCD schedule combined with mandatory PLCs have left teachers with very little time to focus on planning for individual students' well-being. In high schools, the core subject teachers have increased their teaching load by an average of 17 students per semester. These issues create a tremendous barrier to building high-quality classroom cultures, which are necessary to promote productive behavior. You can help us fix these things by instituting policy changes which positively impact the loss and gain of special education teachers, the oversight of principals, the allocation of resources for social workers and counselors, the adoption of feeder pattern-specific discipline plans, and the reduction of teaching loads and class sizes. All of these are su subject to potentially valuable policy changes which are in your power to make. Please consider doing so. Thank you, Ms. Meidel. I'll ask you to stay, please, for just a minute, because um, I'll turn to the board if there's any clarifying questions that any board members would like to ask, because you covered a lot of information there. I'll, I'll email it to you. That was a lot. Well, I, I have a couple of clarifying questions. Then you did provide an email to us uh, this past week. It was addressed to Dr. Fulton and I. You were asking about de disaggregated data. So help me understand a little bit more what you're looking for there. The district collects data about by each building for students who have been suspended, in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension, or expelled. That, that data is collected as a matter of course. When you disaggregate the data by race, by socioeconomic status, and by ability or disability status, that will give you a clearer picture of if we have disproportional um, discipline practices in place. The data exists. I have that data for the district as a whole. I have that data for Shawnee Mission West and Shawnee Mission East. Those data sets indicate that there is incredible disproportionality in our discipline practices. Can you under, help me understand under what guise are you asking for that information? You shared this email here, and I've shared it with the board, and I guess I'm still not sure what your role is that you're asking for this in. What, help me understand the context to which you're asking for it. Why I, as an individual who's not employed by the district, is asking for it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Because when I was the facilitator of United, we wanted that information, and I asked for it then. And uh, Dr. Henson and Dr. Southwick said no. I thought that- well, Excuse me, and why no? Did it exist? 
Yes, it, it exists as a matter of course. We collect that data. Every building collects that data. The, the, the item to which you asked for, the disaggregated data, to the level and the scope that you're asking for, I want to be clear, did, did it exist? And I, I turn to our, our staff to, to wonder about that too. So you're asking for data that already exists, or are you asking us to take staff time to prepare data for your request? I, my understanding is that it would require a minimal amount of staff time by Dr. Grumman to prepare those reports and share them with the district staffs. Okay, and then I'll ask again, because you're requesting it, I'm asking under what context? Is it an employer? Is it an organization? I'm just getting clarity because I have several emails here that you've requested it in some rather terse terms of which we will be sharing with others. And so I'd really like to, to get into the, to the why here so that I can turn to the staff and say, yeah, we, we need to uh, generate this data. Help me understand. I'm still doing professional development under as a United facilitator in the district, and it's relevant to United's work, first of all. Second of all, I'm an advocate for students in the district, both black and brown students and students with disabilities. That's relevant to my work. Also, I'm a community member who cares very deeply about equitable school practices. And as a white person with an incredible amount of privilege, it's my job to do this work on behalf of the people who don't have the time, energy, resources, or knowledge to do it for themselves. So that's why I'm asking for it. And I plan to share it with the people who can further that work, the people who are already in the buildings with the resources to do the work to create more equitable disciplinary practices. And was any of that already addressed in what Dr. Fulton gave us his presentation tonight where that work is being done by the action teams through our strategic planning process to cover the whole district? I haven't been included in the strategic planning processes, so I don't know, but the people who I do know who are on the action teams and the strategic planning process committees have not indicated to me that that work is being done in any actionable or functional way. Okay. And last week, you, or last month, you came here with a specific request um, to remind you, and I'll, I'll ask, quote, it, the ask was that you'd like to know what assurances can be provided to the board and, to the, and from, from the board and from the cabinet regarding the students at Briarwood and the playground information. Um, is that, was that your request, wanting to know how the problems could be addressed at Briarwood last month? Yes. And were you given an opportunity to sit in on meetings and have that resolution? With Dr. Southwick, who's leaving in July, and our playground problem is going to persist far beyond July. So I did decline to sit in that meeting. Also because Dr. Southwick has previously treated me with an incredible amount of disrespect in meetings, and I have lots of other things to do. <clears throat> again, well, and, and again, I'll, I, that's why I'm asking the question, because we have documentation that we'll be releasing that talks about your engagement with Dr. Fulton, I mean, and, Dr., and myself, and Dr. Southwick, and you're making accusations, and I'm giving you this incredible opportunity to explain yourself. And I don't understand why we went out of our way as a staff team and as a board, took out of our time to say, here's a meeting for you to attend, and you said, nope. I well, to be so. fair, Mr. Stratton, I was attending an ad, I'm an IEP advocate for a child in Kansas City, Kansas, who's in foster care, and the meeting coincided with that time. So I didn't attend. I don't see that in your email to me. I, it's not my job to provide my, the details of my calendar well, when I decline a meeting. Well, you actually did provide a reason why. I said it's because Dr. I didn't Southwick. want to spend time with Dr. Southwick. <clears throat> what can we do for you at this point? Well, I think I've been pretty clear that I think that there should be more transparency about the disciplinary patterns in the district. And lastly, you reached out to the Attorney General's office and you asked for some information that you didn't receive from here. Would you like to update us so we can better understand what we might be have to provide 
that an attorney general's office says we have to provide versus what you cited we had to provide? After I requested information per Kansas Open Records Act via the communications office here in the district, and I was denied after many emails that um, were contradictory, my next course of action was to go to the attorney general's office and file a core complaint, which is the normal course of action when something is public and isn't being provided. So I filed a CORA complaint. So now the Attorney General's office is investigating if, in fact, I should be provided with those records. It don't currently exist, okay. They do currently exist. In the way that you're asking for them. Board, if asking, you, if, here's asking, the deal. As a patron, are we to stop everything that we're doing and give a patron data that doesn't currently exist but that you request it, and so we have to take staff time to di diagnose or dissect the data and provide it to you. Do you think that's fair to everyone else out here? Because you, and I'm still not sure who you represent, if anyone, ask for the data. You all should be asking for that data for yourselves. And the fact that you haven't, the fact that that data doesn't exist in some form speaks more to the problems in this district than the fact that you won't give them to me. I'm asking for data that indicates how many black students, how many brown students, and how many students with disabilities were expelled from different high schools and middle schools last year. Everybody in this room should know that data. That is step one in creating more equitable discipline plans. So the fact that you don't have those reports run already speaks far more to your inadequacy as a board than to my overstepping as a citizen. And is my gender or my race a determinant and whether to determine that? Because that's what the email that you provided to me called out Dr. Fulton and myself as a deterrent to providing you that information. And I'd be glad to read out loud what you said. Please do. I'm not embarrassed by what I wrote. <clears throat> and what the public does care about is the story of white men with power denying students of color the opportunity to just learning spaces. And that's a story you're making it really easy to tell. I believe that to I be true. I don't suggest that is a way to interact with the district. I will take public hits all day long. I'm an elected person. We brought this gentleman from St. Louis with an incredible amount of experience in managing diverse situations. And within nine months, he's being called out by his race and by his gender. I ask that you please engage with us in a civil manner, and we'll do the same with you. And we have a whole series of these emails that are contradictory to what you're saying tonight. And I've asked you to say that. I will not bring up the slanderous comments that you made about Dr. Southwick today. But they're not slanderous if they're true, first of all. Second of all, I've asked many times to be a part of meetings, conversations, planning processes, and any number of other things that are very civil. I've been denied access to those spaces. So what you said in the email to us was that you turned down the meeting with Dr. Southwick because he attempted to bully you into a place of fearful submission. Stand by that statement. Yes, I do. Right. I've been in meetings with other people who would attest to that. I'm here to defend these two gentlemen right here. I have never been part of a meeting where that kind of activity has taken place. And I will give you this. I will have any meeting that you'd like to have with me, and we will sit down. And it'll be in public, and there won't be any of this, what you're describing here, and we will get you the information. But I'm going to turn to Dr. Fulton and ask him to have his staff not engage you anymore, and you will work directly with me going forward. Because we can't have this constant asking of information from around the district from one patron who continues to ask for all this information. 
So from this point forward, I will engage you. I will have meetings with you. They will happen right here in this meeting space. Dr. Fulton will provide all the information that we need, and you can ask all the questions you want on the scheduled meeting time before every meeting. Would that be helpful to you? I'm, I'm a little three, unclear on what you're saying. Three o'clock before every board meeting, I will be here and we'll sit right here with the public involved, whoever wants to come, and you can ask all questions for a full hour, and we'll provide all the information that we're able to in those meetings. Would that be of interest to you? Yes. All right. I look forward to those. In the meantime, we're going to be instructing all staff to direct all emails, all correspondence, all verbal correspondence from you to Dr. Fulton and myself because we can no longer have the staff time spent working on these questions that you still have not articulated to me as to who you represent or what you're doing. I represent the community, Mr. Stratton. I spend a lot of time talking to people. I'm sorry? Self-appointed? Yes. Okay, that helps me answer my question. I appreciate the conversation today, and moving forward, we have a new standard that we'll work with. Thank you. I'll look forward to it, thank you. That concludes the public comment section, and we'll now move on to the legislative update. And with that, we have lots to talk about. And uh, the first is, I'd like to share a little bit about our platform, because there's a lot that's going on, and then we'll have both Dr. Atha and uh, Dr. Little come forward as well. Um, our platform reminder is that uh, <clears throat> one of the items on there was to support a stable school finance formula that covers the cost of providing every student the opportunity to be college and career ready, that is financially stable, sustainable, promotes efficiency, accountability, greater funding flexibility, targets students at risk, with supports for teachers and students, and ensures educational excellence for all students of Kansas. Clearly, this was written before we embarked on the legislative process. It's very difficult to truly anticipate what will take place during that time frame. And uh, with that, we also have a, uh, a statement that we put out with the other school districts as well. And in that, we also talked about an inflation factor added to the state base. Those were two of our platform items. With that, we'll invite up, I believe, Dr. Aeth is coming up first, and then Dr. Little. Or the other way around. Actually, Dr. Little is coming. Thank you. Welcome, Dr. Little. Good evening, um, Stuart Little, Little Government Relations in Topeka. And I'm going to talk a bit about where we are in the process and be happy to answer any questions as we're at this point uh, in the year. I want to thank Dr. Fulton and Dr. Atha uh, for being um, incredibly responsive to me. I've, I don't know how many times I've sat down and said, oh, I'm going to have to pester him again. But um, I, I do th appreciate the the responsiveness. There's been a lot going on in the last um, last couple of weeks, and I'm doing my best to keep you all informed. And I hope you all feel like you're getting what you need. And uh, if there's anything that can be done differently, please let me know. Um, there's a lot of things happening right now. We're almost toward the end of the regular session, and and I'm going to talk specifically about some school finance stuff, but also talk about some other related issues because there we're at the point where we've narrowed things down to where there aren't a whole lot of issues out there, but they're all all very interconnected and, and, and are important, and I'll be happy to, to take some questions. We've got session this week, Monday through Wednesday, and then, then the legislature's gone Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday of next week, and come back and are on the floor Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So what we're, we've got is um, three days of, of committee work or floor work this week, and then there are going to be conference committees that will meet negotiating the differences between various bills, health care bills, um, school finance if the House passes a school finance bill. Um, the budget, 
a whole bunch of things that will happen over the uh, the rest of this week and through the beginning of next week. Um, and so they're they're all going to and school finance is going to fit fit into the context of that both in terms of kind of where we are politically, where the legislature is. Uh, emotionally, but that's not the, that may be the right word still, but uh, kind of where they are in the in, in the in the process as well. Um, we kind of began a couple of big things this week that have, that have that have happened, and these are going to be in my written report that I believe you have or you're getting soon, and it'll be posted. But. Um, Medicaid expansion was passed uh, in the legislature, which was a significant political challenge uh, in in the House of Representatives that required a bunch of people to take votes that had not been dealt with in a number of years. And that's important when I get to talk about school finance and how those things are going to be connected. There were there were a group of uh, of Democrats and moderate Republicans who voted for passed Medicaid expansion. It's now gone to the Senate, and they'll be making some decisions about what they're going to do with that in the in the the time that remains in the session and in the veto session but it, it also has kind of an impact on on coalitions and who votes for what because this was a significant effort that the legislature uh, took on, on um, I don't even, the days are all blurry, is it's Monday? Yes, so like on Wednesday of last week and then the final vote on Thursday. And so we're now, we're, we're the legislature has recessed until 7.45 tonight and then they're going to come back and work on the school finance bill. So uh, that's going to put folks in a position again of voting on another pretty, pretty uh, divisive issue in some ways, and uh, it's also connected to the other issue that I would highlight. The written report that I provided you all has that the governor was presented the tax bill, the, the, the Senate Bill 22, um, uh, last Friday, and she had until the 29th, this next coming Friday, to, to veto the bill. She did that today, and so though that veto message will be read into the House and Senate tomorrow. So sometime tomorrow, the House and Senate are going to then have another challenging vote what kind of coalitions exist to to override the governor's veto? They were, I think, one vote short in the Senate and seven votes short in the House, and so it's voting on a school finance proposal right now comes in the midst of some pretty. Uh, this is the least uh, confrontational meeting I've been in today, if that says a lot about what's going on. Um, <laughs> But all those issues are kind of on the table at this point, and so I want to give you kind of the range of options that are out there, the things that exist. So the Senate passed Senate Bill 142, which is a straight fund the, the, the numbers that are supposed to address the court. It, is, it, it has about $90 million in it for four years. That's all that in it. it's in it. The rest of the K-12 budget is in the budget bill, which has already passed the, the Senate. The House and the House just passed their budget today, so the rest of the budget sitting off to the side here. But this bill passed the Senate. It's now in the, in the House sitting in committee. It was there last week when the House committee met and went over their bill. So the, the, the House has, 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 after not working a lot on school finance during the session, kind of put together a bill in the last two weeks and, and had a bill that began in the K-12 Education Budget Committee that originally had a lot of policy in it, had everything from the, the, the HOPE Act bullying voucher for private school bill to, uh, uh, to uh, other issues in there and, and had a whole bunch of things in that. And the, the, I would make note that when they were working on that bill, that was the, the point at which there were comments made uh, with regard, and I'm not sure, one of the, I think it was, they were described as erroneous. I think they were, they were purposefully uh, 
pointing out what they've, through some misinformation, that the district had spent the revenue that had been gained in the last two rounds of, of the Gannon responses that the funding for teachers was less than less than 10% of, of all the money that came in. And, and it didn't seem right at the time, and I didn't want to stand up with and yell at someone until I knew for sure, but uh, Dr. Atha and and, and Russ put together a, a really good response that we delivered back to uh, the members of the, the House K-12 committee that gave them a clear picture for the last five years of the amount of, of resources that you all have invested in teachers and, and compared that to administrators because that was the point that was made was that administrators got the vast bulk of the money, not teachers, and that was patently inaccurate and we provided them with communication that that uh, addressed that issue. We did it. We also, in fact, shared it with the entire uh, delegation to make sure that they were aware that, that, that uh, those kind of things were said and that they were inaccurate so um, what eventually happened out of that committee that was they put together a funding bill and the uh, and then a policy bill and the policy bill uh, everything that's in the, the the policy bill is in a, a Senate bill it's Senate bill 16 and I've provided you a long list of that and a lot of the worst things that were in that early policy bill were out the voucher uh, the, um, the variety of other things, and they, they watered down some policy. There's a lot of bullying legislation in there that came, that was uh, shifted into um, hotline, education stuff, and those kinds of things. So the policy bill is, is do, does some things that are, are, are bad. It repeals, this, it, it repeals the CPI that was built into the formula that originally went for the Gannon uh, decision that said the Consumer Price Index Midwest will be the driver for increases in the future. There was also, um, they took out the language that has the 92% funding for special education. That's no longer, would no longer be in the, in the law. It limits bilingual services to five years, so no student would get more than five years of bilingual services. A variety of other issues in there. Um, and then on the money side, on the money bill, they essentially funded at the same level, roughly over $90 million a year, but for only two years. And they also uh, diverted some of the money from funding the base, so fitting uh, Russ's category over here of your operating costs, it would take some of that money out of there and would uh, use that for other purposes. So we, uh, Dr. Fulton, Dr. Ethan, and I looked through the bill and talked through it and, and through the, the various legislation, then as well communicated, and I believe you all received the same communication with the members of our delegation today that, that what we are supporting and, and and referencing back to the legislative agenda that that uh, Mr. Stratton articulated, favoring don't change the formula, fund the money that the the court has said needs to fix inflation, that the state board of education has said this is what fixes inflation, what the governor has said addresses the inflationary issue, and what the Senate has already passed in their perspective that said does the, all all of those things. So we communicated today with the delegation that we support Senate Bill 142, which is the bill that they have in their committee right now, and oppose these two bills, the funding and the policy bills, because those don't 
uh, address the issue that's literally right in front of us waiting for the Attorney General to go file a brief so the court can make decisions. Any of these other issues are things that can be dealt with during the, the veto session that can be dealt with next year. I think there's some really interesting concepts that are in the funding bill with regard to the Behavioral Health Initiative, which addresses a lot of those, a lot of issues that everybody's very conscious about. I think there are some limitations and challenges with what they have in the bill, but that's certainly something that should be dealt with in a in a longer term thoughtful way rather than crammed into a bill at the end. Um, so at some point tonight in the morning, theoretically, we will likely have a vote on the school finance bills. They have 17 of 37 bills left to work, so when they come back at about 8 o'clock and begin work, when they get to midnight, they'll have to have a vote to work past midnight, so I don't know if that'll happen, so it may be tomorrow, but these will, these will come up and uh, be debated. There are a number of other bills that are on the list Frankly, none of them are as significant as these things that I've just described here, so I'm just going to kind of pause and be happy to answer any questions you might have about where we stand right now. Great. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair. Um, uh, my question might be more for Dr. Fulton, but um, there was a letter that was um, put together for the Shawnee Mission delegate identifying those um, uh, components of each of the school finance bills and why there is um, alignment with Senate Bill 142 from our, our delegate, our legislative platform, and asking our Shawnee Mission delegate to, our area delegation to support the Senate Bill 142, the governor's plan, the um, recommendations from the State Board of Education. Is that letter that was drafted something that we can make public? Have we made public? Pushing it out, yes. Yes, Dr. Atha could speak Absolutely. to that. Absolutely, it can be made public. Um, and, and I want to begin here a little bit with, by thanking you as a Board of Education for coming up with a seamless, seamless legislative platform that gives Stuart and I and Dr. Fulton the marching orders we need to to uh, communicate with our legislative delegation, to communi communicate with outstate legislators as well as outstate superintendents. That is extremely helpful. This legislature has an opportunity before them to meet the court's demand and end this lawsuit. It's all there in Senate Bill 142. It's all there. It will give us four years of funding it will meet the COLA that they're asking for, the cost of living. It will meet it. it. Obviously, you'd like to have more money, but this will meet it and end the lawsuit. But the, we are going to continue, based upon the platform that you have provided us, to have ongoing communication with our legislative delegation, outstate legislators, as well as superintendents out there that's representing 285 other school districts. Questions? Yes, Mrs. Housley. Um, so I have two questions. On the Senate bill, has it been clarified that there is not an error in that Senate bill, that there was rumblings, that there was a mistake in some of the calculations, but that's been clarified and there are not mistakes in that? Can someone just give us a quick update? I, I, I'm not aware that that issue has been resolved. Oh, it's not been resolved. No, I, 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 haven't, I haven't heard anybody else talking about that there's a, a... Well, it's definitely the better bill. I just had heard that there was rumblings that there had been an error in calculations that had been 
transmitted into that. I was not a, a, aware of that. Okay. So I don't, it, it may, it may well, still be great. up. that's um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll go with it's not there. And then um, how was the communication from the district received by the delegation? Do we have a largely responsive delegation that appreciated the communication? Are we going to get support? For the Senate bill, do you believe? I've I've heard nothing negative. I have heard positive feedback, both in response to the the remarks made in committee, as well as the the, the letter that we uh, provided today uh, for them with regard to the two two bills that are up. So yeah, I've heard no negative responses. And do you think it's you'd mentioned at the beginning um, that Medicaid expansion might end up impacting potentially education votes, and is that because? You know, there are folks who kind of extended their neck a little bit on that, and so you think they aren't going to extend their neck on an education bill vote? Or, you know, is it that that was enough work for one session and we're all done? Or <laughs> somebody, if you could tie that up. Well, I, I, I think it, it is, you, we're, we have the reality of having, for a variety of issues, a coalition of folks that are, who are participating together and are moving forward some of these policy issues. The, and, and we've seen that before. That's how we've gotten the Gannon response at least one other time that's gone through. I, my point is along, uh, is in the, in the area of we're, have, we're gonna have about three or four of those things all happen very closely together between Medicaid expansion, the, uh, the education issue, the veto override, uh, those and we're going to get a budget back at some point that they're going to take another vote on, and I think that that does present challenges for 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 all of them. But you know that's why they're there, so it's it's unavoidable. So. This is good. Remind me again, uh, Dr. Little, of this timeline of meeting the courts. What is that the timeline? I believe the. Are we still okay or not so much? I think we're pushing up against the boundaries. I haven't thought about that in a while, but I believe um, briefs are due on the 15th and then oral arguments early April, 20, May 25th, I think. So I think it's April 15th, briefs. and I remember some kind of date like March 1 or March 15th. Well, the Attorney General had said, excuse me. The Attorney General had said if um, his preference would be to have something decided by March 1st so that they would be able to have sufficient time to prepare a brief. So he's going to have less than sufficient time probably. Okay. So. All right. Questions? Thank you very much. We'll uh, stay up to date. We certainly appreciate the, the updates as we go because it's sure. moving really fast and, and you've been very good about getting us those updates. So thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Now we move on to... Uh, yes, I'm going to have Dr. Atha stay up for the oh, 3.02. Uh, Great. Okay. Uh, as you know, uh, you presented us a challenge uh, at the beginning of the year and presenting us with a pilot food service policy to eliminate the toasted cheese sandwich for negative food service balances that we were having. I think we've embraced what you uh, the intent of your policy. We are in full implementation of, of your policy. But with that said, we're seeing balances, negative food service balances, continue to rise. Uh, Nancy and I, uh, Mrs. Kokenauer, Director of Food Service, and I are going to kind of double team this presentation this evening. And at the end, uh, we will be glad to entertain any questions that you have. Also, I would like to remind you that we will be coming back to you in April with some recommendations to continue 
this policy, but we want, we will probably try to give you some innovative and creative ideas to tweak this policy to get us closer to being cost neutral in the, in, uh, the implementation of this policy. So with that said, we're going to continue to provide you the data, and, and that data has been coming to you ongoing since November. Mm -hmm. On this slide, it indicates our negative account balance. Um, we run those numbers after lunch every Friday. I send them to Dr. Atha. So as of last uh, Friday, we had a negative $17,972. Of that amount, um, some of that is from the students that have been approved for free meals, that um, debt that they incurred prior to getting approved for those free meals, and the same for the reduced students. So we basically have about $15,764 debt from what I would consider full paid students or people that have not qualified for free or reduced lunch. One thing I'd like to clarify, because I think there's been some misconceptions out there, that this is not free meals. These are, um, we're providing meals to children, but we expect the parents to um, hopefully at some point pay their bills because their debt is increasing. Um, so we just want to make sure that parents understand it's just not a a free meal program unless you've been approved for the free meal program, so to speak. Okay, let's uh, drill down a little further here uh, and provide you a little additional information of which you haven't had at this point. Um, our 34 elementary schools is where most of the debt is being incurred among 941 students. That's a total of about $12,920. Next comes our middle schools at, uh, with 224 students accounting for $2,766 of debt. And finally, our high school, the least amount uh, among 351 students at $2,285. Um, and a grand total there, uh, as Nancy said, $17,972 among 1,516 students. I'd like to refer you to the other side of the chart, our free and reduced uh, meal students. Uh, we have approximately 33 to 35%, it's not approximate, there's 33 to 35% of our 27,000 students that qualify for either free or reduced lunch. These are needy families. These are kids many times that don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are kids that maybe their best meal comes from the Shawnee Mission School District. These kids are not where the problem is in this policy. Let me say it again. These are not the kids where the problem is in this policy. You've got $1,458 in debt among 177 kids that get free lunch or free meals. $749 for 176 kids that get reduced meals. These balances we can offset with donations. 
We have a benevolent community that cares and will step up to meet this need of these kids. Next is the problem, the paid students. I don't know what the reason is, but a very high percentage of this $15,764 spread out among 1,163 students, these folks have the way and means to pay. I don't know why they're not. Maybe they will after tonight. I hope so. We have 23 families that have a negative balance that exceeds $100. We're going to come back to you, as I said in April, with some tweaks to this policy. Because what I hear from this board is that we really don't want to go back to the toasted cheese sandwich. But we cannot offset this debt with the food service department. It will come from that pot of money called the general fund. And if we have to turn folks over to a collection agency, which none of us want to do that, because we lose 30% of the debt right off the get-go. And if we take them to court, we lose 48%. That doesn't help us and that doesn't help families out there. So I wanted to make sure I emphasized where the problem is so that there's a crystal clear understanding. Nancy's going on with the rest of the report and again we'll answer any questions you have. As a reminder, we continue to notify the parents. Uh, we do that automatically through our school messenger system for low account balances as well as negative account balances. And then every Monday, um, staff in my office call families um, identified that are at a certain uh, threshold. We started calling them with $20 in the negative and found that that was just very time consuming so we raised it to $40 and now we're at $60. And I know today we spent three hours making phone calls, personalized phone calls to those families. We get positive comments back from those families. Thank you so much for letting us charge. I've gotten a little money ahead. I'm going to pay you. Not a problem. Other calls are totally blocked. We're not even able to leave messages. Um, other calls, the father says call the mother and then the mother says call the father. Um, we had one parent that said stop calling. I have till the end of the year to pay. So that's our, um, what's happening with our phone calls. I wanted to detail so everybody understands how payments can be made. Um, parents of students in the district, they can pay online through e-funds. There is a $3 transaction fee. They can pay at the school with a check or cash. And most of our schools have a credit card machine and they can pay that way with no fee assessed. Or they can call my office and we can take a credit card or debit card over the phone and there'd be no fee assessed on that. If people would like to make donations, we have options for that. They also can call my office and they can um, do a credit or debit card. I had a lady this morning bring me in $132 in cash. And we also, of course, accept checks. 
donations can be made to the school in the same regard and I'll be working with the principals and bookkeepers to understand how that process will work and we're very very close in having an online SMSD donation site I'm working with the technology department questions we have expanded our uh, uh, options for payments um, thanks to input of board members and input of the community we are so, as Nancy said, in uh, expanding the way people, the various ways that people can make donations to help offset some of these questions. Yes, Mrs. Zila. Is you said, Nancy, that, that today you spent three hours making phone calls, or your staff did. Mm -hmm. Is that a typical day? Is that what it takes? To well, take now that I'm calls? at sixty dollars, the last time when I had to go from forty to sixty, we were at five hours. And is that several staff members that are being... They split up the duties, yes. Yeah. Which I would assume they're supposed to be doing other duties as well. Absolutely, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank At you. one time, and the reason for moving from the 20 to the 40 to the 60 is that we were consuming um, staff time. As a matter of fact, we were up to almost 20% of one staff member's week. And you've become kind of a collection agency making those calls yes. then from the yes. sounds of the mm -hmm. responses that you're getting. We do, uh, to tag on with that, Deb, we do try to educate the families to encourage them to apply if they're having a challenge in their life, to apply mm -hmm. for free reduced, and to see if we can answer any questions, whatever we can do to help the families if we can get them to answer the phone. Right. Thank Dr. You. Sinclair. Um, thank you for the, all the effort in trying to make this policy work. Um, is uh, email and text messages as a way of reaching out? Is that a communication strategy of just saying, hey, call us? Because I, I appreciate the value of talking to folks because then you can provide so much more information. Right. But is that we, just a... Um, through the school messenger system, depending upon how the parent has signed up, okay, if they so want it's text, on... it's that way. Okay. But these personalized calls, we were directed by you folks to do those personalized yes. calls. Okay, so Thank that's you. Uh -huh. Appreciate that. The board members questions yes Reverend Guy do we have any way of knowing if um, these families who are currently indebted um, if these were children who previously had been receiving the toasted cheese sandwich not without deep diving okay. into this yeah. uh, that's one of my suspicions is that perhaps since there wasn't a financial penalty for parents to forget to pay mm -hmm. or not to mm -hmm. pay in the past that they aren't understanding this is a new policy and that even though they aren't sending the money in that those daily debts that the lunches that the students have, have are adding up we have had comments from parents that have told children because the students have told us in the cafeteria lines oh mom says just eat they're not going to do anything with us that's why i wanted to make it clear to parents um, we're feeding their children, but it's on the student's account as a debt and sending something to a collection agency is obviously it a punishment for a family. I mean, right. that hurts your credit rating. And right. so, I mean, it's not an insignificant right. consequence if the parents refuse right. to pay. Um, we would just choose not to do that. The board member questions. Yes, Mrs. Housley. I mean, we know there's potentially instances where, you know, the parents are not good actors, but we still want those kids to have mm -hmm. lunch mm -hmm. and we still want them to be fed mm -hmm. because. A hungry stomach is not only good for that child's learning experience in the afternoon, but it's likely not good for every other child in that classroom, nor for the educator trying to 
get them through the end of the day. Um, and we know that there were a lot of really good actors in the district who were likely picking up some of this expense without any record of it because I know that I have spoken with educators who paid for the lunch out of their own pocket rather than see a child lose a lunch to a toasted cheese sandwich because children right. did not appreciate that differentiation from their classmates who got a normal lunch. So these expenses have likely been accumulating. We've just been not dealing with them on the district side. It's been piecemeal through the efforts of individuals throughout the district. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to once again place that sort of burden on our educators um, who, you know, might feel bad about and making sure that that child gets a lunch. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to have a child punished or to feel ashamed because their parent is irresponsible or lacks apparently the ability to realize that they're going to be turned over to collections. I mean, for the kids, we're dealing with the kiddos and wanting to make sure their experience is good. So um, look forward to hearing how things continue and what additional information you can bring us. Um, and, and thank you so much for giving us this info. This is Mac. Um, I just wanted to point out that, you know, obviously nobody likes to be turned over to the collection agency, but we do charge for other items in the school district. For example, we have a textbook fee, parking fees, et cetera. So it's not just lunch, although obviously this can accumulate during the school year. Um, and whereas our um, pilot program is having the food service department call, um, I know in the past, our front offices in each of the buildings have been very involved in that. In fact, if someone is still um, on the can pay list, even though they shouldn't be, sometimes that's a real good avenue to be able to get to the family, a building principal, a, a person at the front desk, et cetera. So I, um, I guess I wanted to ask, with that being said, first of all, thank you for all the effort, but number two, have there been specifics about this policy given to all of the people in the building. And I know, I remember seeing a chart where it says, this is what we do, this is how you say it, blah, blah, blah. And I just wanted to assure everyone that that is being done as That's well. That's gonna be the push this week, is to work through that process. Okay, right. thank you. And Mrs. Mack, you bring up a very good point. We're focusing this evening on, on food service, the debts incurred through food service, but debt is a, being incurred out there by our families in reference to, as you said, textbooks and other fees out there that historically this district has turned over to collection at the end of the year. So thank you for saying that. Other board member questions? Thank you for the update and all the work that goes into providing us that update. We appreciate that. <clears throat> Next item on the agenda is item 3.03, .03, and this is a uh, continued conversation from our last board meeting around the board policy committee. Uh, quick reminder that there's actually two items on the agenda. 3.03 uh, .03 will be uh, a discussion of that, and then over at uh, 5.03, uh, 
will be uh, seeking action, so under the action item. So at this point in the agenda, there's no action to be taken. There's not a motion at this point. We'll be entertaining a motion at the end. Uh, <clears throat> so based on our conversation last time, I won't read the whole policy committee structure again. We did post that. I will read the second part that's been added for, for additional discussion. What we talked about last time, first of all, was the role of the policy committee, and we identified this certain steps that the policy committee would be charged with doing. The part that we didn't have a lot of clarity was around set structures, and so we had a, a good conversation. I tried to grab some of those pieces and put them in that, and I will read this very quickly for bullet points. The structure of the policy committee is a committee membership that consists of three members of the Board of Education appointed by the board president on an annual basis. Board members may be reappointed for up to two additional years for a maximum of three consecutive years on the committee. And again, I'm not advocating as much as I'm just plugging those in because we have to address that tenure. The third one is the committee chair is to be selected at the beginning of each year by the majority of the members of that committee that are appointed. So rather than the board chair appointing the committee chair also, the board president would appoint the three members and then those three members would select amongst themselves. Again, the proposed language, we can talk about that. And lastly, the committee will be meet a minimum of four times during the calendar year. I just wanted to make sure that the, the committee was given some form of guidance, that it isn't an as-needed basis, that we really would like to stay, stay as proactive as possible around uh, policy review. So with that, we'll have a, a discussion on these items and then later in the, in the meeting we'll have uh, some motions to adopt. Yes, Mrs. Mack. I guess, uh, and, and um, Mr. Chairman, I, that's why I don't understand is that I, I don't understand because I thought you had to have the um, proposal moved and seconded and then you had the discussion and then you had the vote. So I, I thought about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah. I'm confused. Because as I was putting my notes together, I thought about that, but then this is in the discussion section. Um, I would be glad to entertain any questions maybe to me about this, and then we could move all of that discussion down to number five. Okay, because I, 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 I do have a change I'd like to propose, but I can keep it to number five if you wish. So let's just talk any questions right now for discussion, okay. and then proposed amendments. We'll certainly entertain that at the motion level. So questions about the structure and, and a follow-up to our last conversation. I, have, I do have one question. You said that the committee would meet four times a year. Is this for an overall comprehensive review of all of our policies? Uh, yeah, it'd be a minimum of four times. They could certainly meet more. Okay. And it's, to, it's at least to give them a, a really baseline expectation to, to at least meet. One of the charges earlier in the, in the draft is that they would, um, uh, somewhere it talks about that they would put together a calendar at the beginning of the year and then in that calendar they would identify what they'd like to accomplish in that year. And it, you that have been on the board for a while know how <laughs> intensively laborious that is to review every policy. So I think by building a calendar that maybe every one or two or three years a certain section of the policy manual is reviewed, and that's what we'd ask the policy committee to, to put together. With the addition of whatever policies come about through statutory? Sure, sure. Yeah, and then, and then refreshing, removal, or updating. As needed. Yeah, yeah. Thing, so it wouldn't so. be to say that, well, actually, we don't talk about food service policy until 2022, so we can't address it then. That's not the case at all. Okay. I can speak because I was on the committee, and it took a year. It I mean, did. and overall, when we did the, the big audit with KSB giving us suggestions, I mean, it took a year, and a year to enact them all through. Um, so mm -hmm. just FYI. So I think that your suggestion potentially of having a calendar of when those are looked at, you know, uh, would be good. 
It was extent. I mean, it was extensive. It was a lot of work. We were meeting all the time. <clears throat> Mrs. Mack. And just for um, institutional knowledge, I guess that's the buzzword these days. That was because we, you guys, went through the entire book because there were so many differences, and we did it with KASB, yeah. etc. The entire book and aligned it to the um, their their policies so that we moved a lot of things around and then had them look at everything, mm -hmm. give us information about those and suggested language changes and everything. It was extensive. S speaking to that, um, I mean, a lot of times we have changes in our policies that are statutory, that are you know determined by the state and we have to do that. I'm assuming that this, um, obviously that would kind of go through this committee, but basically it would go through the staff, the district staff person that would present those to us because we're not going to be know every single time a, a policy change has been recommended, correct? You bet. And the first sentence in the, and it says this is to be done in consultation with the superintendent and legal counsel and informed by KASB. So okay. it'd be a compilation of those entities giving us updates. I know they come to the clerk and other folks and say, hey, you know, it's time to refresh that policy because statute says so. You need to update that. The, the other question I had was um, some of us will not be um, coming back in 2020. And so would that preclude us from serving on this committee um, for the months through 2019? I'll answer that from my perspective. And the answer is no. You were elected okay. to serve through the end of 2019. That's how I personally view it. <laughs> Not, so I wanted to ask that question. Thank you. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, and kind of one point of clarification. So this policy committee would not necessarily be determining which policies are being discussed or reviewed or targeted per se, but create a vehicle for all board members to provide input and thoughts about what each board member believes is a priority and a process for kind of helping work with the superintendent to determine what those priorities are. Yeah, and I'll be careful not to say the word prioritization because I don't think that group would be the, this one's in, this one's out. It would be more of the funnel to eventually get everything conceivably to us, but in a format that's better discussed. And again, this, this uh, food policy was a perfect example of that. There's an incredible amount of background data that would be required and it really comes nice to be able to say, in general terms, these are what the thoughts of the board are, the staff is, let's gather the data, staff did a great job, and then we develop the policy then. So, and again, I, I mentioned this last time, it doesn't preclude any of the seven of us from ever suggesting a policy mm -hmm. or a policy change, policy update, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But it's now, it now has an avenue for which it can be researched and eventually prepared for a better dialogue and consideration at the board level. Mm -hmm. and just as a follow-up, yes. too, um, we've been talking about revamping the, the board manual, and we said that we would look at it in June and... Um, that was June of 2018. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that we really need to look. We talked about a revamp of the whole um, policy book that Sarah's previous committee did. But we may need a revamping of the board manual in total. Thank you. And that, that's a good point. That would be under the purview of the policy committee. And I, it is bullet point number two of the, the previous part to conduct an annual review of the manu, uh, manual of procedures for Board of Education members. But that does bring up a, another point that I'd like us to at least talk about now so that we are able to take action later in the agenda. <clears throat> My suggestion, open for discussion, is that this committee would be memorialized in our board manual, that it would not actually reside in the policy manual of the district. But instead, the policy manual of the district, we just created the structure for all committees and all task forces in there. So that policy, 
allows us to then create these. I think it might be better served to be added to our board manual. Currently, our board manual has 17.0, which is board task forces. We don't have a subset that addresses board committees because we have not created one yet. So I'd like that for consideration as well. But any feedback on your preference to saying, no, this needs to reside in actual board policy, or does this, this description of this committee, is it fine to sit in board manual? My thought on that is that I think the board manual is a very appropriate place for it, okay. actually, rather than in policy. I mean, our three functions of what we are supposed to do are budget policy and hire a superintendent. So policy is our purview, and it should be in our board manual, I believe. Okay. Yes, Mrs. Goodman. I think it's the right place too because basically it's kind of, I think of it as bylaws and standing rules. And I think that we have it in the bylaws about how that we have committees and we can have the committees, but the specific ones I think are better put in the board manual. And the rules and all this kind of right. stuff is better, a better place. Okay, thank you. Easier to change too if we want, would want to tweak it after we get this up and running. You don't have to go back and, you know, change the policy. You can just change it in the board manual. Anyone else? All right, thank you. With that, we'll, we'll, we'll readdress it when we get down to the five point. Uh, I had a quick one, really quick. Yeah, can go I, ahead. Can I, Dr. Fulton, um, so is this kind of similar to what you did? I mean, did, did you have a policy committee up and running, and can you give us any feedback it, on that? It is similar. And uh, for a lot of the policies, there's um, routine updating <clears throat> because of change in state statute, federal law. Um, that certainly needs to be done in a timely, on a timely basis. And then, of course, there are t policies, and I think the, the uh, food one is a good example of that, the lunch policy. That's something that's of interest to the board. We can work on developing policy language, take it through the uh, committee who can do the uh, kind of more laborious work of uh, putting details into the policy and then bring that to the board as a whole for discussion. So it's, it's an effective and efficient way to develop policy, and to keep policy updated consistent with uh, state and federal requirements. Any other questions on that? <clears throat> okay, thank you. We'll move on to the consent agenda. I will first ask if there's any board member that would like to remove anything for individual consideration that's currently listed under the consent agenda. Being none, I'll entertain a motion. Thank Second. you, Mrs. Goodburn. Sorry. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor of adopting the consent agenda as presented tonight, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. And that moves us down to item five, which is the action items for this evening. The first one is the approval of the one-to-one -one device refresh that was referenced earlier, Dr. Fulton. Uh, yes, and I'm gonna turn this over to uh, Drilling. Good Welcome. evening, everyone. <clears throat> In your packet is uh, a memo regarding the regular refresh of devices for our students. These are the devices for our middle school students, so these are the one-to-one -one devices. And there are two um, departmental refreshes in there as well. The detail of it's in the memo, the grid in there explains where the money's going. There's a financial document for this that uh, allows us to purchase the Apple devices on a four-year, 0% financial instrument. Uh, makes it very attractive for us as a district. And with that, I would stand for any questions you have about the memo in front of you. Questions about the memo regarding the refresh? Dr. Sinclair? Um, I, um, maybe it's, again, it might be more of a comment or question for the superintendent, but 
as we consider kind of reinvesting and, and moving forward with the one-to-one -one initiative, um, I just really encourage the opportunity for the digital learning task force to continue dialoguing and um, refreshing kind of how that, that those expectations are moving forward. And I appreciate all the work you put into being responsive to our community and just wanted to... I will comment on that. that. It, is, it is important. The task force is engaged in important work regarding research about the use, the appropriate use of digital tools. And it's, it's a complex and multi-layered topic, as we know. Mm -hmm. That's not going to change. And so I think what we have is the start of what's going to be um, a long-term conversation on the best way to use devices in the learning process, including um, parameters around the use of those tools. It's worth noting, and it's important to note, that this is not coming from the operating fund. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, it, it, it comes from capital. And that is, that cannot be used for, say, hiring teachers. And that's, I bring that up because that is often, I've, I've had a lot of people make comments to me, why can't we take the one-to-one -one money and spend it on teachers? And the answer is pretty simple because state, <coughs> Statute doesn't allow it. It's, it's a requirement it come from capital, and capital cannot be used for those purposes for teachers. So, um, But I, we will be very mindful of engaging our community in the proper use of uh, tools, uh, digital tools, to help students in the learning process. And everything else that goes with that, social media, et cetera. Other questions on the action item that's been presented? I would move approval of uh, action item 5.01. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Last chance for any questions while we have Drew Lane here. I have a question. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, so I wish we had the results from the digital learning task force before we were voting on a digital learning issue, just because that would make it a little bit cleaner. Um, but all of these devices to refresh for our students they need to have these devices in their hands, whether or not we've completed the discussion of the, with the digital learning task force. Um, I guess if this were not approved tonight, what would happen to the devices that our students are currently using? Are they like on the edge of breaking down? Are they falling apart? Like where are we at with our devices? If we if we were to not refresh this, what would the ramifications or consequences of that be? Certainly. So if you would indulge me, uh, I would like to walk through the process we engaged to come to the plan that we have here that includes the strategic spending for capital dollars around the one-to-one -one devices as, as well as the, the cycle in which we do that. So the, the, the MAC devices that students have are currently on a four-year refresh cycle. We chose four years for a couple of important reasons. The first is those devices age very well but they age like any other mobile device does. So at the end of four years, those devices are probably ready for refresh. There is some debate as to whether or not you could squeeze another year out of them or not, and when we looked at that, we realized that there are two factors that help us decide four versus five. One of those is that the devices themselves have a higher market value at the end of four years than five. And as a part of our uh, work to maintain sustainability in this program, we take those devices and we sell them to a reseller uh, who cleans devices, erases the data, those types of things, and we get dollars back for that. The dollars that we get back from that sale, Russell Knapp puts back in capital, and in one way, shape, or form or the other, they go back towards the next purchase of those. 
The second reason for that is that if we did keep them five years or six or beyond, we would start to see um, a dramatic increase in the cost of repairs, maintenance, those types of things, because the coverage we have for those devices expires. It's co-termed with those refresh cycles. So in the fifth year, Apple Care goes away. Uh, we buy all parts uh, ourselves, um, all of those types of things. And additionally, when we repair the devices today while they're in Apple Care, Apple actually provides us a refund on each one of those repairs that we do that we can then take and put back into the capital project. One benefit of this so far that we've seen already is that one of the needs that we know we have in the district is for projection in our classrooms. And the savings that we've made by pursuing this refresh cycle, we're able to take some of the dollars that we've saved in repairs and those types of things, put them back into a capital fund that allows us to then address the need of the projections in the classroom without an additional bond or additional capital outlay dollars being, being required so it all stays contained within this strategic planning that, that uh, the strategic plan for capital that we've done. Um, we could certainly phase out of that, the, but as I've said, there are some perils to doing that. Um, most of them involve essentially uh, device fidelity. The devices wear differently depending on which student has them. And then there would be some financial repercussions to the district that probably would be more negative than positive. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. We have a motion on the floor, any other questions? So moved. Uh, it's already been moved and seconded, oh, but sorry. thank you very much. I'll move uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. I, yes, I just Mrs. have a Mack. quick comment. I just wanted to say um, th thank you for that explanation. I thought that was really uh, well said. Just on a personal note, I'm an MVP, and I was working with my little fourth grader today, and I asked him, I challenged him to read a book over spring break. He took his iPad home with him, and he didn't read just one. He read four because he had an iPad. He didn't have a way to get to a library or anything else. And I'm just amazed at what our devices are, what they give to our, our students. I was really proud of him. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions about the motion on the floor? Seek, or no, all those in favor, please say aye. <laughs> aye. Aye. All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, next, we move to 5.02, Dr. Fulton. This is a summer construction project. Yes, I'm going to have Dr. Southwick give an overview. So the work that you see has been put together by uh, Bob Robinson, and I will tell you that we're all thinking about Bob because he had knee surgery this morning and is recovering and won't be here for a while, or he'd be here to answer any questions you might have. So I will try to do that. It's the time that we bring summer projects to you tonight. We're bringing projects to the tune of $3,531,000, um, $531,704. Uh, those projects are a mixture of uh, bond dollars that were identified for that as well as capital. Uh, and those break out, um, the uh, bond dollars is about $2.5 million and we're a little under a million dollars of capital funds to do the projects. So. Uh, 15 to 16 buildings will be touched with these projects. If you go down through and look at the information, we're going to look at lighting and asphalt and window repairs and lentils. Um, we're going to be updating little theaters with lighting and sound systems. Um, as we've gone through the bid process, which are also listed out there, um, these are what we believe to be good bids. Um, we did have a situation where we had um, 
with respect to the lighting upgrades for Shawnee Mission North Little Theater and Hawker Grove, we only received one bid, but we did believe in checking that that was a good bid, so we brought it to you. So um, it's important that we get these approved tonight so we can work to issue the contracts and we can begin to start the work the day school's out, which now we know what the last day of school is. So. <laughs> And then if we talk about the pots of money again and you look at uh, is the continued education, a part of this is the bond that's left over from the $233 million bond issue passed in 15. The other were budgeted amounts from our capital outlay funds that Bob has worked with staff to put together to address your ongoing maintenance needs. So, Thank you. Questions about the uh, proposals for summer construction projects? I will move approval. Of Thank you, Mrs. Action item 5.02. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Housley. Final, final questions? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We move on to 5.03, and we're back to the board policy committee that never seems to disappear. Um, it's now to final action here. And so we have in front of us, I'll, I'll call this my, uh, my proposal, and it says that I recommend for approval this creation of this committee. Um, the only thing that's not formally listed is that it would reside in the board manual, but as we talked about earlier, that would be that where that would be. So that would be the only amendment that I would add to this, whether clarifying that it's in the board manual. But uh, I'll see it as a motion put forward, and I'll seek a second, and then we'll have discussion. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. No, and Mrs. Mack. Mrs. Mack, and then second, Mrs. Goodburn. Well, I thought you were moving it. No. Well, I kind of can't, so there okay. you go. Well, I'll say you can. Thank you for moving along there. Um, I now, so the motion is out there on the floor. I turn to folks for questions. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Yes, uh, Mr. Stratton, I don't have the language in front of me because okay. I can't do two screens at once, I'm sorry. But um, I would like to propose an amendment that um, as far as the committee chair selected at the beginning of the year by the members of the committee, um, I mentioned this at our last board meeting. Don't worry about it, I got it. Thanks, Mary. Um, I mentioned uh, this at our last meeting. Um, currently, in our history, our practice has been that no committee chair has ever been selected in this fashion before. It's always been... Um, uh, appointed by the president. And I think consistency is important. Um, so I would like to propose that the board not only appoint the members of the committee, but also the chair. Um, if there should be a change, in other words, if it should be decided that currently now, that, that we change and the committee selects the chair, I think that's something for the committee to look at as a policy committee. Um, let them research it, evaluate, uh, talk with other school districts, other boards, um, bring their evidence to the board to decide to change that policy. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think that we as a board should make this change without that kind of input, research, and evaluation that a policy committee is supposed to do. Um, so I think that uh, for that, for, for um, those reasons, and I also think that there could uh, there could become an imbalance of responsibility that a board president could make sure that everyone on the board has that there's some kind of balance of leadership among the committee chairs, among its members, those people that have been uh, voted to KASB to S to SMAC, etc., so that that leadership is balanced amongst um, our board members. So I would propose that we do it like we currently do, and that the um, president of the Board of Education also appoints the chair of the Board Policy Committee. And if it should change, that should be one of their first tasks to discuss it. Okay. 
I'll see that as a, a motion and I'll seek a second to the motion to amend this current policy proposal and that is that instead of the board president appointing the committee and then the committee themselves electing their chair that the board president appoint the committee and appoint the chair. That's the amendment. I'll seek a second and then we can discuss. Making the motion. No, I think she I just made did. The, okay. so I made the motion. So you were just restating? Correct. Yeah, I made the motion. Correct. I will second that. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Uh, any discussion about this amended process? Yes, Dr. Sinclair. I, I find both processes kind of very interesting. Um, the point that you make about keeping responsibilities balanced um, is probably maybe one that's more compelling to me to rethink about having <coughs> the board president kind of make sure that balance is there. So, but I think both have compelling rationales <coughs> for why to do them. All right, Mrs. Zila. I would support this change in the current um, verbiage of this at this point because it's going into our board manual, which is reviewed every year. So it's not something that's locked in stone or anything like mm -hmm. that. And if the policy or the policy committee itself deems that, oh my gosh, it'd be just better if you know, we elected who we wanted to do that, or whatever the case may be, or it works seamlessly, then we're good to go. But it's it's actually, that process can be reviewed every year when the board, mm -hmm. board manual is reviewed. Thank you, and just so to clarify, so you were speaking in favor of the amended? The amended. Thank you, great, thank you. Others, yes, Mrs. Owsley. I have a question. So when we first voted for everyone to go to their various spots, whether it be to SMEF or to, well, I guess SMEF was with Vice President, but to go to the SMAC, to be SMAC liaison or the Kansas legislative thing with KASB, um, that's the technical term for it. Um, previously, that had been a board president appointment, and then that was changed coming in with us so that the board selected who represented them in those spots. They had the, they had the ability to vote on their representatives, yes. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of feel like having the committee decide who is running it is in line with that approach, yeah. um, just because it's, it, it's in line with what we're doing for the other positions, yeah. um, and I kind of see it as you know the three committee members coming together and saying, okay, who has the bandwidth for this? You know, who wants to do it? More like working it out to say. Okay, not it. You can do this. <laughs> um, but having that conversation with those members, because I, I think that there's going to be maybe some significant heavy lifting on the front end with all of the things that have come up recently, and I think that's a lot to ask for folks to sign up for. Um, and so I think I kind of think that the having the committee make that decision is the is the way to go, since that's how we were doing our other leadership positions. But respect the conversation and the input. I'll have Mrs. Mack and then Mrs. Zila. I would, I would um, disagree with your analogy, okay. only because the KSB representative, et cetera, that's a, uh, people can self-nominate, and we elect only one person for each of those positions. Our other task forces, like we call them now, right? Professional responsibility, constituent services, there was social media, but we're not doing that one anymore. All of those, the president appointed the committee and appointed the chair. So on committees, we've always had the president appoint the committee and the chairs. Um, the offices that you're referring to are singular offices. 
And so people did say, hey, I have time to do this. And then we voted you know, on our first organizational meeting of July or whatever it was. So I think that the amendment that I'm proposing is consistent with our current policy in that the president appoints the committee and the chair of the committee. So Mrs. Zila. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just going to ask Sarah, what since you have served on a policy committee before, was there one particular person that took a share, a good share of the load, and the others just helped out, or was it pretty evenly divided? No, it was even. It was even. There was no chair. Okay. And we do have legal counsel and the superintendent's input on this committee yeah. as well, right? So we're getting, if there's We all actually did all the work. So everybody, I mean, anytime we had a whole section to look at, and we had staff, actually help us guide us through that. Um, but the, the staff basically put it out there on Google Docs and then we were able to actually, all of us, review everything. So, I mean, there was no, anyone that was doing um, a specific, like a, like a chairmanship job. I mean, right, yeah, maybe the, to call the meeting the together or something no, like that? No, or, no, uh, no. Did you have a set time that you met? Is that how you did that? I th like every uh, Tuesday at three or whatever. I don't remember. Do I don't remember, remember either. No, I think it was just uh, we just set the meeting and I think maybe it was just staff driven too of uh, when the staff was able to meet with us and then yeah. Okay. That was just kind of a point of clarification so you kind of know what, how that functioned before and I wasn't certain either. Yeah, so. there was no there was no okay. chair. Dr. Fulton. I'll just jump in and say that as it's certainly something you can do if you want as a board is to set up a standing meeting at a certain day and time sure. and that just helps get helps with schedules sure but the, one other comment is the staff would very much be involved in developing the initial draft of the policy and that way you're not having to create it per se mm -hmm. but rather start to work with a draft and then polish it from there uh, for presentation to the entire board well, in the, in the case of the staff, when we had did the entire overhaul, the staff was able to actually put it in, you know, put all the changes in there. Ms. Wintering probably did quite a bit of that. Yeah. So and it was a lot of the, the work that needed to be done for us to be able to look at both of them side by side, the changes and the, the old policy and the new policy. I remember the book. I've seen that book. It was great. Other questions about the amendment or comments? <clears throat> And I'll, I'll speak from my perspective, having put some of this on paper and kind of doing it on the fly. My two uh, reasons for suggesting that the committee select their leadership from within was my continued approach to find a way of decentralizing power. So it's the same reason that I've pushed for the election of these various roles um, instead of the appointment of the president. And at the same time, I wanted the board to have as much ability to then, in, in this case, three committee members select their leadership. Um, <clears throat> I'm always trying to think 10 and 20 years out. And what would be a worst case scenario? And so I'm, you know, the whole stacking of the deck, have we seen the legislature where they're, they're not only appointing the committee, they're also selecting the leadership and things may or may not even get through the process if that way. There's a couple of comments that were made about equitability of distribution among the seven of us and the responsibilities, and that's a good point. Um, I was moving towards um, the membership of the committees as being equitable, meaning as I built a spreadsheet and I said, well, we have three people on this and three people on this, and we're, we're equally busy or weekly representing our roles across what we're part of. I hadn't thought about the equitable leadership part. So I do agree that, yes, 
but what's interesting about that is we currently have a process where about half of our roles so, so, so far are elected at the, at, the, at the meeting, so all seven of us can chime in on who we want to serve in those representative roles. <clears throat> and then the board president would, and, and this amendment would then also appoint the, the chair. So at this point, I'm still leaning towards, um, my personal view is to say that the, the, the committee of three can decide it and the committee of three can come right back and say, and our first order of business is to say going forward that <laughs> the, the chair will be selected by the president. Um, but I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but that's what I'm leaning. And that's why I would say be consistent to what we're doing now. And then if the committee wants to change it okay. to the committee choosing <clears throat> the chair. But you know what? I'm not going to die on the sword on this one. <laughs> I just think we should be consistent. Yeah, and just remembering that this is a committee that essentially will either exist until June 30 or December 20, yes, or December 31st, correct. depending on what our new year correct. is going to be mm -hmm. in school boards. Um, any other comments on the amendment? Seeing none, I'll seek a motion on the amendment, and the amendment is to change the proposal so that the chairman appoints the, the president appoints the chair of the committee as well as the members of the committee. All those that would like to see this amendment change to that, please say aye. 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 All those opposed say nay. 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 I'll, I'll do a roll call or a hand vote there. All those in favor, please say, or please raise your hand. And all those um, opposed to the am proposed amendment change. Right. So at this point, uh, we go back to what's originally proposed there. I do appreciate that discussion, and that will be very helpful to the new committee. Um, now, uh, anyone else have questions or amendments to the policy committee structure as presented? Any motion? I do. I'll make a motion. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. To approve, I'll add words to your sentence there. To approve, thank you. Thank you. Second. second. Oh. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Uh, last, uh, any, any additional questions or comments uh, about the creation of this committee? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0. Thank you for walking through that multiple step process. Um, after this meeting, I will send out an email to the board members uh, asking for volunteers to serve on this committee. And then, as we've defined, uh, I'll, I'll then appoint three people to that committee. And we'll ask them to get, get going, because uh, there's work to be done. Uh, with that, we move to board comments. I turn to board members with any comments for this evening. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, I have two, if that's all right. One, I just wanted to um, let the members of the Highlands community know that I am thinking about them. And if there are still concerns or um, suggestions, ideas, um, to continue to share those with your um, uh, principal, with Ms. Combs, or to roll them forward to any of the district folks or myself as well. Um, so I just did not want to let that go unsaid. Uh, and then, um, I would also encourage you all to uh, contact your state legislators. I think many of our area representatives are supportive of, of ending litigation with the school finance formula, but it really helps them to hear from you even if they are in favor so that they can share with their colleagues that they're hearing from a lot of people from their communities. Um, we heard a tonight from a variety of folks, whether through um, conversations up here or public comment, there are still significant needs in our community and in our school district that 
funding directly impacts our capacity to hire more folks, to um, provide compensation to our teachers that um, keeps them uh, retained and uh, recruiting new folks to our district. So please make your voice heard. It's critical. This is a critical vote that may be happening tonight or tomorrow morning. It could make a big difference. Oh, and there is a wet, there's a link on our website. So if you go to the <laughs> if you go to the school board and you look on the legislative link, you can populate an email with one click. Sorry, Mrs. Mack. Yeah, just to cotton on to that, you know, one of the things that we could do with more money, and we've discussed it um, for a while now, is to have more counselors, to have more social workers, etc. So I wanted to segue onto that. Um, I recently had the honor of giving a talk here in this room um, to a group of Children's Mercy Healthcare Auxiliary Group about mental wellness, about mental illness and, and suicide. And um, I wanted to uh, let everybody know that the superintendent's group, are zero's re zero reasons why, are doing a terrific job. They're meeting on a monthly basis. And I hope that some point in time, and not the too distant future, we will get a, a, a update from that group. But with that in mind, I wanted to let everybody know that on April the 10th at Shawnee Mission Northwest, there is a mental health event. And it is called the Shawnee Mission School District Spotlight on Mental Health Event. And um, it will be from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock p.m. And at 5.30 p.m., Tim DeWeese, who is the health director for the Johnson County Mental Health Group, uh, will be giving a keynote address. And many uh, mental health organizations will be having, having tables there and will have information for students and parents, whoever want it, including NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. So I wanted to um, tell everybody about that um, uh, event. And um, this student organization that goes throughout Johnson County, the zero reasons why, they're doing a walk. They're doing all kinds of, of, of things to um, make students more aware, to have more peer-to-peer -peer counseling, to have the conversation that so many people are unwilling to have. And so I just wanted to let you all know about that and um, promote it as well. Thank you. Mrs. Goodburn. Sorry, my microphone wasn't on. I wanted to give a shout out to Shawnee Mission Education Foundation. They are continuing their Distinguished Leaders Speaker Series on Wednesday, April 17th. They are bringing a Shawnee Mission West graduate, Dr. Robert Samari, um, to have a conversation. It's at North. It's at 6 p.m. that night. I would imagine it's in the big auditorium. Um, he's going to have a conversation about the need for K quality K-12 education and the state and future of medicine and science. So I think it'll be very interesting. The last one we had was great last fall. So I just wanted to let people know about this opportunity. It's free, open to the public, and lots of space in the auditorium. So anyway, just want to let people know about it. Thank you. Other board comments? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, so I have two comments. The first is um, I had asked Russ how much the utilities were, and he said about $9 million on electricity. And there is um, movement for Evergy, which is the new KCPNL. They're looking for people to buy in, to buy wind energy. And some of our local municipalities have already done it. I know um, Bob's out, and he's been looking at the numbers to see if it would be cost-effective for the district, because it looks like there's a potential for... Um, rates to be uh, neutral and not continue to go up if you purchase in on that contract. And there's also potential for them to even go down a little bit. I think Prairie Village is saving a nominal amount of like $3,000, so that doesn't seem that significant. But when you are potentially getting all of your 
or the vast majority or what you're able to get of your electricity from a renewable wind source, that seems like a pretty awesome thing. So I'm appreciative of all the work that Joan Levins, our sustainability director, has done on getting more info on that and that Bob has done. Um, because anytime we can save any money, I think that's a sweet deal. Um, and then the other, the other comment was um, related to data. Um, I know the U.S. Department of Education collects data um, on every district in the country, and sometimes that data can be difficult to sift through, but I know ProPublica has gone to the effort of sorting it and making it really readily accessible to break down by race or ethnicity or disability. Um, ProPublica came out with it about a year ago, and you can actually go in and put Shawnee Mission in, and it will break out a lot of our information um, in a way that's readily accessible and um, easy to sift through. Um, I know the State Department of Ed Education here in Kansas collects that data, but it's not always as, I mean, it's, it's not always as readily <clears throat> clear what that is, um, but that the information is, is transmitted to oversight folks, and I know that there are a lot of advocacy groups that use ProPublica's Pro decimation of the data for its ease of use as opposed to the U.S. Department of Ed. So that was all. And I thank our delegation who are late in Topeka today with their 37 bills. Um, and I count on them to do the right thing for us. And I find it unlikely that they will let us down, although I'm crossing my fingers about the rest of the folks. So thank you. Our next meeting is April 8th, and I'll now turn to Mrs. Owsley for a motion. There are two items that we'll be considering in executive session. There'll be no uh, additional business after those executive sessions. Mrs. Owsley. I move we go into executive session to discuss litigation with our legal counsel pursuant to the exception for matters which would be deemed privileged in the attorney-client relationship under COMA, and the board will reconvene in the boardroom at um, 8.30? Let's, let's, let's do 8.30 with a five-minute 8 at 8.30. I'll second that. Thank you. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. Thank you for being here. Good night. <laughs>